Hey everybody, it's me. It's your old buddy, Steve Simonson. How about that? I'm uh I'm doing it live, everybody. I decided to just hop on here. I've been uh working uh all day and and kind of thinking through through some things and wanted to just share a few a few tidbits of information and perhaps even a an insight or two, if I dare qualify my observations as insights. Uh, even if if I don't get that full credit for an insight, I'll just say there are observations that I'm going to share with you. So I'm going to start with just a, a few news pieces here that I think are important, particularly for the e-commerce community, the Amazon sellers specifically, and then branch into some things that are kind of broader, uh, kind of global issues with supply chain and, and the like related to China and on and on and on. So uh, welcome one and all. If you're there and you can hear me and everything sounds okay, uh, let me know in the comments if you don't mind. I <laughs> apologize that I often cannot see the comments um, while we're live, and, and for that I apologize. I, I don't know the exact reason why, and I've never taken the time to figure it out. So uh, let's start with a little bit of the news because I think this is important for the average Amazon seller. So according to e-commerce bytes and many different publications, Amazon has uh, relaxed and reduced their storage limits. And this is very interesting and very important because as of you know the start of 2022, Amazon's reduction in inventory IPI requirements is going to have a huge potential benefit for sellers. And it, to me, it's interesting because this is almost Amazon understanding that we all need to have more inventory because the supply chain is, is so difficult. Uh, further, I think it's Amazon's kind of general acquiescence to the fact that they have been more than a little oppressive, particularly in the fourth quarter, with some of their inventory stocking limitations. And, uh, oh, I got a little thumbs up. Oh, the dopamine is coming in, everybody. Thank you for that. And thanks for all those watching live. We appreciate you. And... Uh, you know, we'll try to make this valuable for you. So according to Amazon, by the way, these new IPI limits will mean less than 10% of sellers will have uh, an impact, uh, any restriction, essentially. Now, of course, there's still overstock limits and this and that. But by reducing the IPI, they are obviously accessing larger and larger swaths of warehouses that are being built uh, as fast and as furious as you can imagine. All over the United States, all over the world, Amazon continues to build out that FBA warehouse, which is one of its key backbones and infrastructure, strategic elements it, it put into place that has been the, I would say, you know, part of the secret to success for Amazon. And you'll see Shopify and you'll see Walmart and others like them continue to uh, get into this uh, space as well. But Amazon's doing it well. And I think they've got some capacity and I think that they understand that we have to have more uh, inventory and the complexity of, you know, three PLs and this and that, it may be too much for the average seller. I highly encourage you if you're a professional seller, if you're, let's say over a million dollars in revenue, certainly if you're over 5 million revenue, you should have a, a more comprehensive supply chain that, you know, drops it at a, at a third party facility or your own facility. And then, you know, drip feeds it into Amazon. We recognize that, those shipping times, even domestically, internal into countries, especially like the United States, which is so large, or Canada or Mexico, it's not quite as bad in, in the UK or uh, the Netherlands. 
because those are smaller kind of uh, footprints. But we recognize that domestic shipping is, is difficult, but it still makes financial sense uh, for the most part because 3PLs will often have a much lower cost per cubic foot, uh, even if that's not immediately accessible. So anyway, that's good news. Storage limits are being relaxed, and that means you're going to be able to uh, make life a little bit easier. Uh, that, by the way, is, is uh, you know, I suppose in contrast to the UPS or the USPS, United States Post Office, basically uh, elongating their delivery times, right? Uh, you can blame everything on COVID now, by the way. Every store you walk into, they just have a, a little taped piece of paper on the door that goes, uh, everything we do here sucks and it's because of COVID. Screw you, right? That's kind of the new customer service policy. And, and, you know, the post office, it took them about a year and a half to, to put that on the door, but they're definitely going all in on it. And they've changed the delivery time. So if you have used USPS as a key method of delivery for your lightweight items, obviously, if they weigh more than two pounds, you're, you're better off going elsewhere. It, you really need to take another look at that and look at the delivery times and the cost versus the alternatives. Um uh, just another qu quick piece of news. Uh, for those who are unaware, uh, Amazon uh, <laughs> aggregators are raising money like crazy, right? So it's uh, in 2021, Amazon aggregators raised over $5.7 billion, bringing the total in aggregation kind of uh, money access. This includes both capital raised as equity and access to capital as lending or loans. That's uh, well over $11 billion now. Now, there's, we, I get this question all the time. How do I know if I should sell my company? Who should I sell it to? There's 12 questions I ask anybody who's kind of in our little network about if, you're, if you are thinking about selling your company, is it the right time and how should you go about it? There's 12 questions that at the end of those questions, I generally know the answer uh, uh, of the right method for you to consider. Uh, or even if if it's now is not the right time. Some of those questions are qualifying questions to go, oh, you actually don't want to sell your company. You just kind of want to know what it's worth, right? It's like going on to Zillow and seeing what your house is worth and going, oh, yes, I'm getting rich every day. And then Zillow, uh, you know, changed their algorithm and the price goes down. You're like, oh, I just got poor yesterday. So uh, I, I do think monitoring your investments are wise, your house, your business, et cetera. But uh, don't put too much stock into kind of automated algorithms that don't always come true. Uh, by the way, for those who remember back in May of 2021, a big swath of Chinese sellers were kind of banned from Amazon, taken off of Amazon, many of them permanently, because a server was found with this kind of open door showing all of the, the black hat review techniques and the brushing and the things like that, that uh, many of these sellers were engaged in. And in a, so that, that led to some changes and, and there's all kinds of news inside of Shenzhen and the e-commerce community there about how, you know, Amazon's being unfair to Chinese sellers, they're racist, blah, blah, blah. And so it, it's kind of a weird contrast because in some ways, you know, they got kicked off. That's fair because they broke the rules, but many of them have their money being held and from my perspective, it's like, well, Amazon, you shouldn't be able to hold somebody's money if you let them sell. 
uh, unless you can prove that these sales were, you know, specific to Black Hat or that they were some, you know, ill-gotten gains. And so there's a lot of sellers, Chinese sellers, even American sellers, British sellers, um, you know, uh, European sellers across the world that have had Amazon hold your money. And if Amazon is holding your money, uh, contact us at Empowery. We can connect you with a law firm that will take your case on contingency and basically go, you know, take a look at it and, and they'll manage an arbitration uh, or even a lawsuit if necessary. Uh, Amazon now allows lawsuits. Um, so a lot of people don't realize the terms of service are kind of a living document. And, you know, a couple of years ago, you couldn't sue Amazon. It was against the rules. But now you can sue Amazon right now. I don't recommend lawsuits. They're not fun. But if Amazon specifically is holding your money for some unknown or uh, in your mind, uh, improper reason, then uh, contact, uh, you know, uh, I think it's service at empowery.com uh, or go to the empowery.com website and ask for help. And we'll connect you with a, a law firm that will take your case on contingency. And just to be clear, I have no money in it that I'm not connected in any financial way. I'm a volunteer at empowery. We have nothing to do with the, the law firm, except that I've used them for 20 years for, various types of cases, including my, some of my toughest litigation. The founder of this particular firm is brilliant and, uh, and they're great litigators across the board there. So good news is you can sue Amazon. That was a change basically in 2021, I believe, uh, that they're, they basically said, yeah, it's okay to sue us. Essentially trying to get out of this um, FTC uh, antitrust uh, litigation, or at least trying to minimize their impact. So let, let's talk about that for a minute, because Vox just published a very interesting article about how Amazon is, is kind of, um, well, they're basically under stress from this, this FTC antitrust investigation. So the, the interesting thing is there is a 96-page article uh, published by the the Yale Law Journal, right? So the Yale Law Journal, pretty respected, at least from a, an academic standpoint. I'm not saying everything there is, is, is right, but a person named Lena Khan wrote this article called The Amazon Antitrust Paradox. Essentially going, you know, the lens that we viewed antitrust with in the past as a government, uh, as a country, is if the consumers were getting low prices, then it's not a it's not an antitrust. It's not a monopoly. And if they weren't getting low prices due to usually uh, like you know collusion and other reasons that are nefarious, then there that is antitrust behavior. It's monopolistic behavior. But her article said it, it's weird. It's a paradox because the consumer can actually get a lower price, but they can still be engaging in antitrust and, and monopolistic behavior by having the number one platform by you know suppressing sellers pricing and basically taking the money from sellers uh, and squeezing us unfairly and in a monopolistic way. So essentially her article, 96 pages, and it's up on empower.com by the way. Uh, if you go to empower.com and the the awesomers.com forum, you'll see this 96 page article linked there and you can read it yourself. Uh, but the irony is she, Lena Khan, then got get appointed to the FTC to investigate Amazon for antitrust behavior. And Amazon, you can find this article in the Wall Street Journal, is like, hey, how, how can the chairwoman of the FTC investigating us already have written a 96-page, you know, kind of essay that essentially 
it, you know, indicts us or convicts us or what have you. So Amazon's saying, well, she has predetermined that we're guilty and they want her recused. And she's like, eh -eh. no, the reason they brought me in is to beat you guys down and get you under control. So who's right, who's wrong? You can decide uh, that for yourself. But I do believe that Amazon, you know, is 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 making some moves like relaxing inventory, you know, maybe allowing us to, to sue them as sellers, um, you know, enforcing insurance. I think they're doing things to try to move the ball towards uh, fairness. And, and by the way, that that's all I've ever asked for. I want a, a fair level playing field. And again, Amazon, I know, <laughs> I know you don't pay close attention. I do know you watch a, a lot of these, but uh all you have to do is make every seller in each geography, you know, basin of, of competition. So if it's in Canada, every seller in Canada has to, you know, be registered for, you know, GST and, and all of the regulations in Canada or the UK or the EU or the United States. Just have everybody have a tax ID, have everybody have tax compliance, insurance, etc. And if everybody has to do that, the, this thing gets a lot cleaner, a lot faster. So anyway, I think it's fascinating that that this antitrust uh, investigator, actually the person who wrote that 96-page article, Lena Khan, if you've never heard of her, if you've never read the article, again, if you go to Empowery.com, that uh, that 96-page PDF is available for your download. Um, and I'll come back to Empower here just in a second to everybody. But before I do, I do want to point out one other thing. So I, I mentioned earlier the the May kind of uh, smackdown. Well, just recently, in fact, uh, I think it was which.co.uk has been investigating uh, a number of these kind of fake review situations. And I think on the 13th of January, they just published another article that basically goes Twitter and Facebook still being used to manipulate uh, Amazon's, you know, kind of fake review problem. And they, they talked about finding, basically, one Twitter user has shared a spreadsheet of 22,000 listings, which, by the way, that, that particular user is followed by 800 Twitter profiles. And it's like, hey, pick any of these products and we'll send it to you for free as long as you give us a review. Another uh, team based out of India told this same investigators, they have 10,000 products for sale on Amazon. If you leave a positive review, they'll be happy to, you know, give you the, the refund or whatever. So, the, you know, <laughs> there's an old saying that marketers ruin everything, right? So Amazon says, you know, whack, you can't use uh, rebate sites, you know, full price rebate sites anymore. This came down in uh, roughly Q4 of last year. If you use full price rebates, we now consider that manipulation. And they always have some squishy language in there so that you're not quite sure. Like if I sell a lot of stuff, am I manipulating the best seller rank because I have a really great product? Am I, if I offer a coupon, they basically say, if you don't offer that coupon on Amazon and you offer it elsewhere, then you are manipulating the results. And it's like, fair enough. But, uh, you know, there's sometimes where you have like a, a VIP club that is legit and you want to offer them a little better deal. If you do that, even on your own email list, according to Amazon, you're in violation of their manipulation rules. So there's these types of things still are a little bit uh, weird. But the whole point is we all know as sellers, it doesn't matter uh, what rules Amazon passes. 
it's just whack-a-mole. The, the, uh, the bad guys will just move and move and move. So, um, all right. So we talked about aggregators. They're, they're uh, raising money like crazy. And by the way, I think there's a ton of aggregators and there's differences between those aggregators. We're going to do a, a spring kind of rundown of a bunch of these aggregators. We're going to do interviews. We're going to talk about the differences. And then we're going to have one giant spreadsheet or you know document that you can compare each of these uh, people against the others, uh, as well as releasing the 12 questions that I talked about earlier uh, at some point. We just don't have time to do it all at once. So uh, I want to just share with you guys. Let me share with you. So this is the... <coughs> Well, pardon me, everybody. I'm not used to talking to other humans. Hello. Uh, this is the uh, new Amazon or the new Empowery uh, platform. And the reason I call it to your attention is because there's, I'm logged in so I can see more things. But even if you're not logged in, you can see some things, right? You can see some of these different things. It looks like we had a little uh, uh, formatting issue there. Uh, we've got some videos. We've got some news about China, which I'll come to here in a second. Uh, this, by the way, is some uh, marketplace sellers pled guilty to price fixing in the Blu-ray uh, and DVD space. And that was just a, a day or two ago. Uh, so there's, there's news there. We, we just launched a, a team member and VA support group. So if you have VAs, you have team members, you want them to, to go in. This is just launched. So the content will be coming, but you know, have your team, they can all join and they can get in there. Uh, and that, that all is free. Uh, you can click the little sign up button here that will take you to a sign up page, create an account. Some stuff you can see for free, a lot of stuff you can see for free. And then some you just need to be a member and you can join. And there's a zero dollar join and then there's a, a pay to join. Uh, but remember, I'm just in a, a volunteer there. I'm not a, uh, you know, this is not me trying to get you to give you or to give me your money. Give it to the nonprofit member on co-op. So anyway, there's a lot of things here, including blog articles, uh, including groups. This is a blog article as an example. We've linked to uh, a prior episode talking about the One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey, a great, great book. We talk about uh, different group types of things. Oh, in this case, I'm not logged in, right? So it says, hey, you're not, you don't have access to this particular group. Some are available for free, as I mentioned, to the public, and some you have to be able to get in. Uh, and let's see if I can get that page to, oh, of course, because I went to the, uh, the content restricted page. But if we go back to the groups and we're logged in, you can see we got the team and VA support groups some freight forwarding Q&A. We're starting these groups. The purpose of this, everybody, is to give you a safe zone where it's not toxic. There's no politics. There's no kind of uh, beat downs about, you know, the toxic behavior you see between, you know, various people on these these various, um, I don't know, we'll call them social media places. All of this is just designed to say, let's talk business. Let's make it professional. Let's have some fun. Uh, we've got some videos. We've got documents. We've got forums. Uh, there's a lot of things to see. And uh, so I just invite you right now, go go check it out and get, uh, get with the program. So anyway, I'll uh, let you guys do that on your own time. So just a final little bit about China. So I, I don't know. I get tired of being right all the time. That's one of my axioms. Uh, in in September, I said, get ready for COVID, the sequel, right? COVID round two. And uh, and boy, it's it's uh, just as silly and, and annoying as I expected it to be. But the 
for the entire world except China, it's like, eh, it's going to run its course. That's the way it is. China's got the biggest problem because they have engaged in the COVID zero strategy, which, by the way, they're they're reframing the name. They're not nobody's allowed to use COVID zero anymore. It's now dynamic. I can't remember, like dynamic scale or dynamic lockdown. I can't, there's some weird name that they have. Basically, it's like when we get a, a, br a breach and we will have breaches, then we're going to do everything we can to lock it down. And again, I will share some some videos over at Empowery about just how oppressive. Like when we say lockdown, it's not like, hey, wear your mask when you go to the grocery store or, you know, uh, be a good citizen and, you know, do this. It's like stay in your house, do not come out or you'll be, you know, beaten down. You go to quarantine sites that are out of the city and you're kind of locked in these little, you know, uh, eight by eight boxes uh, or eight by ten boxes. I'm not sure the exact that's in uh, Met or that's in Imperial. They're small little places and they don't, you know, some people are complaining about not getting enough food. So the city of Xi'an was getting just pummeled because not only are they not feeding the people adequately, according to the, the Chinese netizens that keep posting, uh, but like even people with health conditions have shown up to the hospital and their COVID test was more than four hours old, old so they considered it, um, you know, kind of out of date. And people have lost babies. They're, they've lost their parents having heart attacks. It's, it's quite uh, tragic in many ways. But this is the beginning of what's going to happen across China, in my opinion. And I don't like to see this from a human perspective. I do not like to see this from any perspective. I don't like to see this. And But the lockdown that's happened to uh, somewhere between 10 and 13 million is Xi'an. People have different population numbers. I can't pin it down. These people have been locked down for nearly a month, uh, over three weeks, less than four. But now there are lockdowns in Tianjin. There are lockdowns in Shanghai. Basically, there are around, it depends again who you ask, 10 to 20 million people who are on strict lockdown. Don't leave your house or you're going to jail or you're in one of those little boxes I talked about. And 100 million people on some sort of modified lockdown, which includes the, the planes aren't running, the trains aren't running. Uh, it's going to get far, far worse uh, with the the Olympic situation. As we know, they've if you follow this, um, I'm not going to get into the Olympics too much because it's a it's a real uh, let's just say it's a it's a Pandora's box of of trouble. But they have a closed loop system. Nobody from the Olympics will be able to see anybody who lives in China. Uh, who is not in that closed loop. So the people who are working at the games, the people who are interacting with the Olympians, all of them stay in the closed loop, which means they stay in the community of Olympia, the, you know, the Olympian community, I guess, and they can't see anybody in, you know, kind of regular China. It's almost like two countries. It's so far, they, they have taken this so far, you're not allowed, if you see an Olympic vehicle in a car crash, and you're a regular citizen who's not part of the games, you can't go help them. They've specifically and explicitly talked about this because they don't want these two loops to, to interchange. Um, thinking that that, you know, that would allow um, China basically to, to receive the, the, the virus. However, uh, the virus is already there. The Omicron has reached China. It's going to sweep China in the same way it sweeps the rest of the world, there, this pathogen knows no bounds. It's not going to go away. It's going to get worse, which means if China maintains this, whether you call it zero COVID or dynamic 
reaction or whatever their, their new name is, it's going to be very, very disruptive for the supply chain, even more than it was in the first, you know, COVID part one, the sequel is going to be worse. So inventory wins the day. If you're using China exclusively, <clears throat> consider alternatives. I've been talking about that for, you know, several years, but especially in the last quarter, I'm, I'm really emphasizing that. And uh, if you have shipments that you're unsure of, or you don't know how to move, or, you know, you're, you're trying to get things done, now is the time to really press on those resources, whether you're using third-party inspectors or freight forwarders, whatever, really work with them to say, you know, what should I be doing now to preserve and protect my, my supply chain and my order flow? There's a lot to it. And it's, it's not getting better. It's not getting easier. It's actually getting harder and, and more complex. And by the way, I say this with, you know, well, I just say it with a dose of reality. The numbers coming out of China are the official numbers. So you can't, you know, they're basically showing breakouts across the, the country from Xi'an in the north, Tianjin in the north, which is right outside of Beijing, all the way down to Shanghai, which is the heartbeat of China, into Shenzhen, which is uh, a Delta outbreak. Some of the northern stuff is Omicron. The point is, it's it's got the potential to be everywhere toot sweet really fast. And, you know, China's virus is maybe not quite as effective as Western or the vaccines, maybe not quite as effective as Western vaccines to minimize the hospitalization and, and uh, you know, bad outcomes. So, you know, we just we hope that uh, it, it doesn't turn into a humanitarian crisis over there, but it has the markings of lots of lockdowns and lots of uncertainty through the entire year. This isn't going to be a three week thing. This is going to be a long term thing. The Chinese uh, New Year, for example, is already being disrupted. And the reason I mentioned that I can't trust the numbers coming out of China, nobody can, is because the local officials have an incentive to not say bad news, right? Every time Xi'an issued more bad news, somebody in Xi'an in the party got fired. And so now suddenly Xi'an's cases are down to, you know, near zero per day. New cases are under their single digits for the last few days. But why should we believe them? Because if they report bad news, people get fired and uh, and they get in trouble for you know mismanaging it. It's it's so bad in Xi'an that they they basically passed a rule that says nobody better put negative stuff about COVID or about the the outbreak on social media. So it, it's kind of this weird dichotomy where they have you know tons of social media, tons of users, and so we just kind of anticipate well that nobody's going to be talking you know, bad about, you know, China or the situation. But the question is, is like, well, where's the line of what's bad? You know, somebody uh, took some pictures of their, their vegetables and they're like, I get, you know, five vegetables for a week and I got four people living here. Why? That's not enough. And that sparks outrage, right? With the, the online community in China, across China, not just Xi'an. Uh, and then of course, you know, the, the tragic loss of babies uh, because the women are stuck in the waiting room has, you know, just enraged China at large. So Xi'an solved the problem by going, nobody says nothing online. If it's negative, we're coming for you. And we're monitoring all the WeChats, we're monitoring all the, you know, social medias. Uh, and that's, that's why I think it's, it's important for us to just kind of understand that whatever's happening there could be worse than, the, you know, that is publicly available. 
And by the way, I get a lot of this information from people, you know, who are taking great risks inside of China to get the information out. Uh, none of these people work for me. They're outside resources, but it is really, really uh, a delicate situation. So expect disruption. Supply chain is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And if you see empty grocery shelves now, there will be more of that. So think about, you know, kind of preparing. And more importantly, think about your business and saying, what inventory do I need? If you have five SKUs and a couple of them aren't selling very well and you're capital constrained, kill those SKUs or at least, you know, kill them off for the time being and invest in the winners so that you can really maximize the winners. Your ability to allocate capital is going to be tested during these times. And that's the point is allocation of capital is the ultimate way that you can kind of uh, illustrate that you know what you're doing. So allocate your capital in the best ROI. Uh, you guys have heard me talk about this in the past potentially, but go look up what the turn and earn ratio is and rank your products based on the, the T&E. And if the products are below a certain threshold, you, you know, if you have 100 products, you might define the threshold differently than if you have five products. But make a turn and earn ratio that you say, this is the minimum a product after one year or after six months or whatever has to achieve to continue to survive in, in, our, in, our, in our assortment, a product assortment. That will give you some kind of objective measurement instead of going, well, I know, I know this thing could be a good thing, but we, we kind of fumbled the launch and then we ran out of stock and then Amazon you know, took my listing offline and then I had a black hat competitor do this or that. Like it's just gotta be objective because if you have those problems with launch, or with Black Hat, and that product is not as you know uh, profitable and not as uh, productive as an alternative product in your lineup. Just focus on the alternatives, and let's you know drive those uh, forward. There's plenty of ways to launch products in this market. Plenty of ways to achieve your goals, but the allocation of capital into the winners is really, really uh, something I think you should focus on. So anyway, hey, listen, uh, I I love entrepreneurs. You guys know that. I appreciate you guys. Uh, I highly uh, encourage you, go to Empowery.com right now, do the little login, and uh, it's a free you know, thing uh, for the most part. You can't see everything if you're just you know, a free freebie, but you can see a lot of stuff, more when you're logged in than when you can't. And I just want to say thanks to everybody, and I'll see you next time. I really do uh, wish you guys the very best, prosperous, new year. And, and I hope that you have the best sales and, and reach all your goals. And, uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye everybody.